Hello, I'm uh, Stefan Leichter. Welcome to the East CareerCast and one in a series that is focusing on the fellowship training in surgical critical care and trauma. Today, we'll discuss the fellowship application process, and we are very grateful to have Dr. Bill Chu with us. Dr. Chu is an Associate Professor of Surgery at the University of Maryland Medical Center's R. Adams Shock Trauma Center. He is the Director of Surgical Critical Care Fellowship Program at Shock Trauma, and he is the Chair of the Shock Trauma Center Research Committee. Dr. Chu earned his medical degree from the University of Maryland School of Medicine. He completed his residency training at the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey at New Brunswick, now Rutgers University and he completed a fellowship in surgical critical care and trauma at University of Maryland's Shock Trauma Medical Center. Dr. Chu, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Dr. Leichtel. I am honored to participate in the East CareerCast series. Excellent. Thank you. Well, we'll just get started right away, and um, many uh, applicants um, from uh, the last uh, years, if they hear this, um, for them there's been quite a big change um, because applications for the uh, Surgical Critical Care Fellowship are now via SAFAS, um, the Surgical Critical Care and Acute Care Surgery Fellowship Application Service, uh, and I'm glad we have an abbreviation for that. Um, that's quite similar to ERAS for residency applications. And I have heard that you have been uh, involved quite a bit in the development and creation of SAFAS. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about SAFAS and um, why it was developed and uh, what's behind this? Yes. The Surgical Critical Care and Acute Care Surgery Fellowship Application Service, or SAFAS, is sponsored by the Surgical Critical Care Program Director Society, or SCCPDS for an abbreviation. Now, SAFIS is currently accepting applications for appointment year 2017. Briefly, using SAFIS, applicants may complete one standardized form, upload supporting documents, request letters of recommendation, and submit to multiple surgical critical care and acute care surgery fellowship programs online. Now, applicants must still use the National Resident Matching Program, or NRMP, with its rank order list deadline in September annually. Now, you may find the SAFIS website by simply Google searching Surgical Critical Care Fellowship. It's simpler than trying to remember the SAFIS URL or Universal Resource Locator address. Now, <clears throat> I know that you have several questions for us to discuss, but you asked for a little bit of history and overview. Exactly. That would be great because I know when I applied for a fellowship, I think now four or five years ago, I think it was the first year that website was online but really wasn't used by most programs. And um, even though it's kind of nice to prepare your individual applications for the programs you're interested to, it's also a lot of work and very time-consuming. So it is nice to have one overview, one website that just shows all the programs, and this can be done nicely electronically. So, yeah, I definitely would like to uh, hear more about how that came into being. Okay, great. Now, as you mentioned, the traditional process for surgical critical care applications was very cumbersome for both applicants and programs. Uh, 
applicants predominantly during the PGY-4 residency year needed to search for program descriptions and then contact each program individually requesting application materials. Then the applicants needed to complete each application individually and send a variety of documents to each program. Then applicants needed to contact recommenders, supply them with information and a list of program addresses to send their letters. The programs were left to create paper files awaiting letters arriving by snail mail or regular postal mail. Now, in early 2013, the SCCPDS, the Program Director Society, suggested using ARAS or the Electronic Residency Application Service. Some programs actually tried it, including our own, but the biggest problem was that ARAS opened in July annually, so that timing did not align well with the surgical critical care match. And therefore, most programs still used their own individual applications. After just one year with ARAS, the Program Director Society Board of Directors began discussion on creating their own standardized application and their own fellowship application service. So, in 2014, SAFIS was under construction and underwent beta testing. In March 2015, SAFIS launched and went live and now is thriving in its third year. No, that's excellent, and I have to say um, what you described in the beginning was very much my experience when I did those uh, the applications about the paper files and getting all the uh, the addresses. So uh, especially within those few years, um, having a program like SAFIS is a tremendous um, advantage and uh, really great development for uh, for applicants and um, uh, future critical care fellows. Now, you did already mention some of the uh, the important times when the applications happen when things get reviewed, but just to really make it very practical for anybody that's listening in and right now is in that phase of residency where they think about doing the fellowship and they're interested in critical care, when should residents start planning the application process in terms of looking at the website um, for the year that they want to uh, submit their application? Um, what are the important months um, and, and which year in residency is important? Okay, great question. Um, I would recommend that residents should start the entire application process in January of their PGY-4 residency year. Now, you don't necessarily need to start your application form, but this is when you should seriously review all the materials and start thinking about your application. The applicants should browse the SAFIS website homepage, which has hyperlinks to an application instructions PDF document. The applicant instructions document gives all the details on how to register and create your own account, create and edit your application, upload supporting documents, request recommendations, select programs and fee 
submit the application and instructions on how to submit the application later to additional programs and information for help and support all on one page. There are also links to a variety of other websites with relevant information, including the East Fellowships listing, the NRMP match important dates for surgical critical care, the ACGME list of surgical critical care programs and contacts, their search application, the SCCPDS fellowship programs website links, also the AAST list of approved acute care surgery programs, and a list of American Board of Surgery approved emergency medicine surgical critical care programs. The NRMP rank order list deadline for the current application period, which is appointment year 2018, that deadline is September 20th, 2017 this year. Okay, excellent. So it really sounds like that website, uh, the uh, SASA's website, is all you need. There are links to all the other websites from information about the programs uh, to all the other things like uh, the NRMP um, that is all on the website. And the important dates really then, fourth year of residency in January, think about that you want to go on the website, that you want to apply by September that year, which then would already be kind of going into fifth year, I guess. Um, that is the absolute deadline, but of course you really want to have your applications and all that in much earlier. Now, um, as residents click on the uh, the website in January, what uh, paperwork does SAFAS ask for? Licenses, ATLS certificates, um, what is expected, what can I upload there if I've done additional courses, what are some, some absolutely important things that need to be uploaded there? Okay, great. So the question is, what kind of information should residents prepare and have ready? Exactly. Well, first of all, there is the SAFIS application form, which asks really basic questions about your personal demographics, information about your undergraduate and medical schools, internship and residency, and whether you attended another graduate school or another clinical or research fellowship. And then very basic questions about medical license, ACLS, and ATLS. Then there is a section where you will be asked to upload supporting documents that include a photograph, your curriculum vitae, a personal statement, and then copies of your USMLE and ABCITE scores. Now those USMLE and ABCITE scores do not have to be official certified documents. They could be uh, copies of what you, whatever you have in your possession. Um, if the applicant attended an osteopathic, a foreign or emergency medicine residency, the equivalent scores are acceptable. And then there is a also a form for the applicant to submit any additional narrative information that is relevant to that applicant's situation. Excellent. So basically, have your CV ready, and um, it's really, I think it's, uh, it's a 
great benefit and relief for applicants that they don't need to have those originally submitted copies of their official um, transcripts in the USMLEs, but your own copies are fine. Now, if we talk about some of the uh, the documents, um, especially CV and personal statement, and this is really not only interesting, I guess, for critical care application, but for any other application, and one question that I always ask myself as you write the personal statement, in, in your impression, how important is the personal statement? So can it really help get, an app, uh, get a spot? Can it really hurt an applicant if you put the wrong things in there or don't, um, it looks like you didn't really uh, put much effort in it? And what do you look for when you look at the personal statement? What are some, some things you want to see from the candidate in there? All right. So this question is about the personal statement. Well, the personal statement is only one out of many items that is considered in the application file. And it is the item where the applicant gets the opportunity to give expression to what is special or unique about themselves. Now, in programs with a larger number of applicants that use a screening process, for example, a program that does not interview every single applicant, that personal statement most likely does not represent an important factor in the screening. The screening is used to identify candidates who are um, worthy of an interview in those programs with a large number of applicants. The personal statement, though, is likely more important in applicants that will get an interview and in those programs who will interview every single applicant. It allows the program interviewers to understand a more holistic perspective to the applicant that can enhance the subsequent interview and the review process and decision making afterwards. I think that's excellent. That's a really helpful statement. Um, it is kind of what I tell my students when, when they ask about the personal statement. It really, as you said, it's not the most important document right away. Of course, scores um, and, uh, and, and other factors uh, play, into a, play a role here, but it really is an opportunity to say who you individually are. And I know that some of the, uh, the competitive programs, they get dozens of candidates, and it's very hard to figure out who to interview and who makes the cut because they're all great. They all have great board scores or research, and the personal statement really is, I think, is a good way of starting the personal connection that you can then continue during the interview. Now, if we go to the uh, slightly more objective document, so to say, from the personal statement to the CV, um, what can you maybe say about the uh, the average CV that you see these days? Um, how many pages is it? How many how many candidates come in there with a long list of research articles? Is because I'm sure there's residents out there that have done some things, but maybe they don't have 15 first author papers, and they might get concerned. Um, what is kind of your experience? Have you seen maybe any change over the last couple of years of how long the CV and how extensive the CV is in candidates? Well. Um the CVs come in all shapes and sizes, and um, I believe that the CV is more important for those programs seeking candidates that are interested in a career in academic medicine. At this stage of a resident's career, 
we're saying approximately PGY4, the length of the CV is not so critical, but the length does give a reviewer or interviewer an initial first impression about that applicant. Now, while high school students applying for college typically have a one-page resume, if you have a one-page CV for a surgical critical care fellowship applicant, that would be considered too small. Okay, excellent. So um, hopefully you've got something to fill in your CV or maybe at least double space so you don't have just one page, right? <laughs> so um, CV, personal statement, the third big uh, document that we're always talking about in applications are the letters of recommendations. And again, this is probably true for any application and certainly also for critical care. Um, who should you ask for the letter of recommendation? I guess the question always is, is it really important to have a big recognizable name in trauma, write that letter that might know you but not that well? Or do you also look favorably or maybe even more favorably, look at the uh, letter of recommendation written by a local general surgeon that really knows the applicant well? What is the best balance there that uh, that applicant should find? All right, great. So letters of recommendation. They're, they're a common part of applications for any uh, residency, fellowship, or job, but it becomes a problem when you need to evaluate those letters. Now, it is recommended that the applicants give their recommenders advance notice enough time for the recommender to um, think about things to write about you. Using the SAFIS service, the system asks applicants to enter three names and three different email addresses for three recommenders. Each recommender will receive an automated email request and then the rec recommenders will have access to the applicant's application documents in progress and a list of programs that that applicant has selected. The, applic the applicant will receive an automated email notification upon upload of each letter by a recommender. Now, the biggest problem with letters of recommendation are that practically all are supportive. Some are outstanding, while others are just good. It's extremely rare to read anything negative, although I personally once came across a letter of recommendation for a surgical critical care fellowship that claimed that the applicant was an alcoholic and liar. So choose your recommenders carefully. Most programs will expect that one of the letters is submitted by the residency program director or the person who's responsible for evaluating you in a broad, broad sense. Now, the other letters should be from very important people that are knowledgeable about your qualifications and can attest to your candidacy for a surgical critical care fellowship training. 
Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, that story about the alcoholic is really quite scary, um, and uh, I wonder if that resident, uh, he or she selected the letter writer as they were drunk, because otherwise you should probably know what the person is going to say about you, and I guess uh, it goes without saying that you probably did not inter um, invite that candidate for an interview, did you? That applicant probably did not realize that the recommender would write those um, details of negativity. Yeah. Uh, so definitely be careful with that. Now, um, as we're kind of moving towards the uh, last third of, uh, of our career cast, I would say let's kind of move away from the uh, more formal aspect of the application, but about more towards the interview, towards the candidate. Um, the first question that I have when we talk about how to be a good and competitive candidate, um, now at Shock Trauma, you offer one and two-year fellowships, and there are quite a number of programs out there that do have those two different tracks. Um, do you look for different attributes in candidates or different uh, uh, requests uh, for that one-year critical care fellowship or more the two-year ACS or uh, critical care plus trauma fellowship? Are those completely separate, or do you have candidates that maybe say, I'm open to both, and they're kind of looking around a little bit? Um, what, uh, how would you describe those two programs? Okay, great. Um, in a general sense, most programs – are most likely looking for the best candidates and the best fit candidates for their fellowship programs, regardless of um, one-year or two-year fellowships. Now, as you mentioned, some applicants have individual circumstances that fit better in a one-year or a two-year program. Some applicants will prefer a two-year fellowship in one institution, but a one-year fellowship in another institution based on whatever information they received or their interview experience. Some applicants want a two-year fellowship, but will settle for only one year at that uh, right institution. So um, you mentioned the University of Maryland program specifically, so I'll try to give you an example. Our program has eight positions annually with four um, attributed to one-year surgical critical care training and four positions attributed to two-year combined surgical critical care acute care surgery. Uh, fellowships. We don't really differentiate the qualifications of our candidates based on the one or the two-year program. We are looking for the best fit applicants to our programs and leave the decision about whether they're more interested in one or two years based on their own personal circumstances. Of course, there are many excellent candidates that just want one year and excellent candidates that want two years. But in a general sense, those that want more of an operative experience are um, leaning towards the acute care surgery fellowship. Okay. So kind of as a uh, as big takeaway for the, uh, for the candidates, really – 
focus maybe less on the one versus two years, but think about the program that you like, think about what you're looking for, and um, then uh, depending on your personal, um, there might be some personal preferences or, uh, or, or reasons to choose one or two years, but really this is, the number of years is secondary to the experience and to the fit in the program, really. I think that's the, uh, the takeaway from that. Um, talking about uh, the uh, candidates, also one question that, uh, that I had, how candid should candidates maybe be about some of their weaknesses? So let's say um, a, trauma, a trauma program that is very heavy and penetrating trauma, um, be it in Baltimore, be it in Los Angeles, in any big city, um, should candidates be open and say, I didn't have enough penetrating trauma experience in residency, that's what I'm looking for in fellowship? Or could that maybe be a problem that programs think, well, maybe that person doesn't know what he or she is doing in the OR? Or should candidates, is it something you frequently see that they say, I picked your program because this is a weakness I had in residency? All right. So what about um, weaknesses? Well, I think you can ask that question to, or you can ask that question about candidates and about the programs. Because not only do candidates have weaknesses, many programs have weaknesses as well. Now, above all, candidates and programs should have honest and open interactions. But it's just human nature for candidates and programs to highlight and showcase their strengths and best attributes, or should we say put their best foot forward. Now, it's all right to explain weaknesses, but you can explain your weakness in a mention in a much broader context, such as, I would like to learn more about penetrating trauma, or I would like more experience in penetrating trauma. You could put a positive spin in your weakness, whether you're a candidate or you're representing a program. Excellent. I think that's a very good answer for, for any question related to weaknesses. I think in all job interviews, even outside medicine, that is one of those questions that everybody expects, but very few people are prepared to give the best answer. Um, so I think that is very helpful advice. Um, after, the, uh, after the interview, do you still see thank you emails or thank you letters, or is that something that is so old-fashioned in the 21st century now that this really rarely gets done? Is that important to you or not? All right, great. The question about the thank you letter. Well, uh, fellowship interview is similar to any job interview, I believe. So I would recommend a follow-up letter or a thank you letter after an interview for any job application interview. Now, the follow-up letter or message or whatever it is demonstrates your interest in the program, um, reiterates your experience from the interview, and then opens a line of communication for additional questions, either by the candidate or the program. Now, in this day of electronic communication, an email message is sufficient for most people because most people will see an email in a more timely manner compared to regular postal mail. 
the regular postal mail will need to go through um, institutional departments before it gets on your secretary's desk, and then you might get it maybe um, much later down the line. Okay, excellent. So no need to find a mailbox on the busy interview trail, but definitely send out a thank you email in a timely fashion after a, after an interview. That's excellent advice. Um, lastly, kind of going to your experience as program director, since you've been program director for a while in a very busy fellowship program, is there anything that you've noticed over the last couple of years that has changed um, in terms of number of applicants, match rates, um, what kind of applicants you get, something kind of from your broad experience as program director? Okay. Well, our specialty is experiencing uh, increased interest among applicants and residents. No one really knows the exact reason for the increased interest. Some presume it's the addition of acute care surgery to surgical critical care, allowing a more um, operative experience for surgeons. And accordingly, the number, quality, and caliber of applicants are similarly increasing. So um, looking at the statistics, approximately in 2005, which would make it 13 years ago, there was only um, it was only 61 applicants to surgical critical care fellowships. That's 2005, about 13 years ago. Now, last year, there were 124 certified programs with 254 positions and 225 SAFIS applicants. So the applicant numbers increase every single year and where it was 61 in 2005, it was 225 for appointment year 2017. So those are quite yeah. some, uh, some impressive numbers. I guess you could say we're obviously, as trauma and acute care surgeons and, and specialty, we're doing something right. We're not quite sure what we're doing, but it's definitely right and attracts more candidates. Um, I guess the only downside is that the process is obviously getting more competitive for applicants, but it also is a testament to the specialty as being interesting and, uh, and obviously being on the right track. Now, um, the absolute last question, kind of taking the 30,000-foot view, is there one piece of advice that you could give prospective applicants for the fellowship and the application process, one the most important takeaway from this career cast and your experience? Okay. So just uh, an overall summary, um, for applicants, this is still a good time to be interested in surgical critical care and acute care surgery because the numbers show that there are still more surgical critical care fellowship positions than there are applicants. So if you're applying for a position, you should be able to get one. Now, while there was slightly more positions available than there were applicants, that gap 
has been narrowing over the years. So last year, 95% of applicants matched, and those that were unmatched probably found a position after the match. Um, any any if, kind of uh, final yeah. good advice? Yeah. If I were to give just one piece of advice, um, I think it would be for applicants to use one or more mentors to guide you through the entire process. Don't try to do this all by yourself. You can do it all by yourself, but it helps to have someone knowledgeable about the the field of surgical critical care. You should discuss if surgical critical care and acute care surgery is right for you, the applicant. You should discuss how competitive your credentials appear to be. You should discuss the programs that you should apply to, including which programs are your favorites, and then which programs are considered safety applications. And most importantly, your mentor should advocate for your candidacy to the leadership at your favorite programs. That will have a lasting impact on decisions. Excellent. That's that's very important. And um, so I think you could really summarize that having a mentor and talking about this among the faculty at your residency program, it not only makes the application itself stronger, but it also is probably a good idea to look into this not in January of the fourth year, but really before that also with regard, is trauma-critical care the right choice for me? What should I expect? And to just really be prepared for this. So um try to get maybe role models, mentors early on to figure out if that is the right career and then also use them during the uh, the fellowship application process. Dr. Chu, thanks so much. On behalf of the East Career Development Committee, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. It's been great to have you on the uh, on the phone for this career cast. Um, I'm Stefan Leichter. I hope you enjoyed the program. When you find a moment of time as listener, please visit the East website at east.org for more East Career podcasts and other information about critical care, trauma, and the application process. Great. And, Stefan, thank you very much for the invitation. Thanks again for uh, for being here with us. Thanks so much. Now, uh, um, Dr. Chu, I do have one question um, on the SAFAS website when I went to yeah. this the first time. Can you tell me why it still says safas.fluidreview.com? Uh, this seems like something going back for years and years and nobody ever changed it, right? But the application website, fluidreview.com, I was always wondering about that. Yes. Okay. That's a great question. And are we online or offline? I, I think we're still online, so uh, we're still the, on, uh, yeah. it, it, it okay. has to be appropriate comments. Yes. We can, we can take it off if we need to. <laughs> That's okay. Let me explain that. So in the history of developing the application service, the SCCPDS, or Surgical Critical Care Program Director Society, initially um, contracted with a freelance developer. The freelance developer was seen to be more cost efficient mm -hmm. and um, 
they gave this freelance developer a chance to develop the application system. Now, a lot of work went into it, but we ended up not getting the product that we thought would be reliable. So therefore, we contracted with a professional developer. Now, Fluid Review is the leading online application management platform on the Internet. It powers the application processes of organizations, educational institutions, and foundations around the world. Now, Fluid Review is a subsidiary company of SurveyMonkey. SurveyMonkey is the world's leading online survey platform. So, the web address is created by us, but it meets minimum requirements of the Fluid Review platform. The URL is safis-sccpds.fluidreview.com. And now that's, that's why Fluid Review is still there. Yeah, that's fantastic. I absolutely did not expect that answer, and I always thought it's something with critical care and fluids and all that, and that it was some educational platform first. Um, but I guess um, it, it's closer to uh, safas.surveymonkey.com, I guess. I could have also almost been that, right? <laughs> yes, and I I don't often tell people to remember the web address, but if they Google search Surgical Critical Care Fellowship, it usually is the first or second um, item that comes up. Yeah. 